This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. everybody to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Sir with Insider Perks. I'm standing, sitting, sitting. I always mess up something at the beginning of the show. It never fails. Sitting at the National Outdoor Hospitality Conference and Expo in Orlando, Florida, where we're all about to maybe survive or not a hurricane that is currently coming over us. The airport's closed. Nobody knows if they're going to get out of here. KOA doesn't know if they're going to get in next week for their show. But we are safe here in front of a beautiful tent masters set up here. It is part of the expo that opens tonight at six o'clock. That's why you hear forklifts behind us because they've kind of let us sneak in here under the radar. With me, I've got Zach from Clockwork and Connor from Sage Outdoor Hospitality. Guys, you want to briefly introduce yourselves? First time on the recurring. Yeah, Connor Schwab, head of outdoor hospitality at Sage Outdoors. We help launching and expanding glamping and RV businesses throughout North America. Can you guys hear him okay with the mic between them or good? Yep. Okay, cool. Zach? Yep. Zach Stoltenberg, I'm with Clockwork Architecture and Design. I lead our outdoor hospitality studio. And so we work with new and existing campgrounds, campgrounds, RV campers, anybody that's in that outdoor hospitality space. And we help them build their dreams. Fun business we get. Glad to have you guys, have you guys here. And you're going to be a part of a, of a glamping show going forward. Second week, very month. We've obviously got Ruben Martinez here from the American Glamping Association, Glamping Hub, and Irene Wood from the Fields, Michigan. Guru of all things, right, Irene? Uh, maybe guru of nothing. That's how that works. Uh, we, anything, what's what's new on your end before we talk about, I guess I should thank our sponsor for the show today. It's Horizon Outdoor Hospitality. Before I forget that, they're a new sponsor uh, of the Glamping Show. So super excited to welcome them. But Ruben, Irene, anything else going on in your world before we dive into a little bit about what's happening here too? Irene, Ruben, I'll let you go first. No, how'd the season end up? I know nobody, I mean, was, nobody was counting down the days, but how did... How did everything wrap up? Today was the very last day of camp. So we blew everything out, got everything wrapped up. We're closed up for the season. And we're ready for already starting to think about 2023, which is just so crazy, right? When you think about it. By the way, and I know, Connor, you just leaned in. Thank you for that report that you guys just put out, that glamping report. Our pleasure. Our, our pleasure, yeah. yeah. Really good read. Lots of good information. We're using it right now as we're thinking about what's next for the field. So I appreciate it. Yeah. And we're actually hoping to launch a more investor focused report either at the end of the year or kind of early in 2023. And that's a little bit more focused towards owners, operators, and investors. That'll be a little bit more heavy in rates, occupancy, revenue, unit types, operating season, things like that. So keep an eye out. Were you yeah, love it. Were that too, or independent, or I think so, and probably Air DNA as well. Okay. So the the glamping report that was released at the glamping show was really focused on the on the end user, the camper, the consumer. The consumer yeah. And so we want to release one that's a little bit more focused for the owners and the operators who are making strategic decisions for the business. Okay, awesome. So I I don't know if anybody knows who's watching the show, but KOA's show is next week. So Connor partnered with them on the initial glamping report that they released during. Ruben's glamping show there. 
which was a couple of weeks ago. Everybody still talks about it, Ruben, all the great networking that happened there, just the tons of people and, and just the ability for them to kind of connect with people all over the world, not stop great things about it. So thank you again for putting that, you know, obviously David, lots of other people worked on it, right? But absolutely. Yeah. I've got the easy job. I can just go around and talk to people and uh, be famous. <laughs> A lot harder than I do to make sure everything gets words. Yeah, looking. See if we can do this. I'm move this. Yeah. We're we're leaning towards you because I have this tiny little laptop speaker in my hand that we're trying to hear you from. So I'm just gonna put it over here in the middle of the shot and see Is if we can make better? it happen. There we go. We got a little like gangly cardboard box there. Yeah. How we roll? This or this is how I roll. Really, these guys are just kind of here, shocked and uncertain about what's happening. But so, what else is new in the glamping world? Yeah, I guess my question, Irene, for you would be, I mean, I'm always curious and we can go in any other direction you guys want to afterwards, but every year the industry gets more mature and more mature and we learn more and we learn more. And so now that, you know, it's always hard in the middle of a season or the beginning of the season to pick your head up and say, okay, let me kind of assess and reassess and, you know, here's what's what I learned or here's what's new maybe for next year. But as now I know today's kind of the last day for camp, yeah. but have you had a chance or is there any kind of big learnings from this last season? Cause I feel like it's a compounding factor. Like every year we learn more and more and more and we, we figure out more and more and more and we get more and more confused as well. Yeah. More and more complicated as yep. well, but just curious if there's any, you know, from, from your camp, any, any big learnings from this last year? Yeah. And this is really interesting because there are, and some of them are, you know, when you're, one of the, I don't want to say one of the first, but when you're an owner operator who has now, you got to think four years under the belt, we've had the luxury of being able to move some levers that maybe other businesses couldn't, right? They're too large. They make some commitments that, you know, a small, mighty, nimble operator can do. So two things I learned, one of them is, and I, I'm actually, one of them is, I think that we're going to have to make some adjustments to the accommodations. So we did tents with bathrooms, and I think that it's becoming, I hate the way this sounds, but for us, maybe our guest, that the, it is really hard to meet a guest where they're at who is coming from camp and still providing them a superior experience while you're still navigating through a couple things. And one of them is bugs, heat, cold. I mean, tents are really for a consumer who is a high-end consumer, which I would say that we sit in that $400 ADR kind of rate or, you know, spot, they don't want that. They don't want to see a stink bug. They don't want to see a black beetle. They don't, they don't, they want to be 70 degrees with no humidity. And we're just not able to meet that gas with a tent. So I'm rethinking through what an accommodation looks like. Secondly is, you know, I think we told you we made an adjustment to camp because we are small. We went adult only. And while that increased guest satisfaction, it decreased revenue. And part of it was, like, okay. well, a lot of people still want to share that experience with their kids. And so that has me thinking through how does that look in the future? So what we did was we went through and we said, okay, we're going to be adult only with the exception of these few weeks. And then during these few weeks, we're going to allow kids. And then during those kids, we had camp actually quadrupled in size, right? Because every parent came with 3.7 kids. 
And, you know, revenue was increased during that time because you have extra headcount and they're spending more money on food and beverage. But then we returned back to our adult only while our adults loved it. And like I mentioned, customer satisfaction was incredibly high. What we learned was we took a hit in revenue that I was like, damn it. Not that I didn't know. I mean, we knew that that was going to kind of be the case, but how much was it going to be the case? And, you know, when I look back through, Connor, your glamping report, when you do see majority of people want to camp with their kids. So it, it's in line with some of the data that I saw in your report as well. Now, it won't change what we do. We're going to still continue with that model. I think it's just because, again, our camp, this particular one is small. You know, we only have 20 units. But I think those were the two learning. Accommodations need to meet. We need to make some adjustments on accommodations to meet the customer. And then the second thing is, is that, you know, we're going to continue to maintain the adult only but we're going to add more kid camp weeks to kind of maintain some revenue where we took a little bit more of it in the chin this year. I just want to be clear. We're not laughing at you or anything you're saying, Irene. We're laughing because no, the sex football is massive and literally every person with a forklift and trash can is walking by our aisle. During the live show. <laughs> it's fine. So. Listen, it's not a screaming baby. It's not, you know, an animal, a raccoon in a tent. It's all, you know, you're fine. We've lived through it all. But yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear those kind of anecdotes from you and just what you've learned and, and as you continue to grow. And, and I think it's so important to kind of constantly be reevaluating what your operations are and making sure they're always a best fit for the awesome orange shuck that's beeping nonstop too, right beside <laughs> me too. But yeah, what do you think, Ruben? Have you seen that kind of similar? Jeez, yeah. just whipped by us. He's going like 30. Anyway, Ruben, have you seen some similar kind of data from other people you've talked to? Yeah, make similar sure type of thoughts? You guys might want to throw on a helmet if people are zooming by, you know, just in case you guys don't get taken out and make sure life insurance is up to date. I think that's it. You know, Irene, that's interesting because that has been, there's a category of questions that people typically ask, which are in the, the category of, should I be family friendly, right? Or, yep. or not. And, and what does that look like? Do I do food and beverage? What kind of on-site activities? And there's always these front-end questions of, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too in certain ways, right? You've got to figure out a strategy that's going to be in line with the theme and execution that you want to carry out and, and do that. Because as soon as you try and be everything, you become, your brand almost becomes nothing, right? And that's yeah. tough. There's, there's some great purchasing power with families, but there's also, you know, certain things that when there's a bunch of kids running around, what does that do for the person who pays, you know, that, that extra amount per night, you know, and, and. I think there's a, there has been, will continue to be this tug of war between this kind of mid-level tier decisions of, do I offer this or do I not offer this? Do I offer this? Do I have Wi-Fi or no Wi-Fi? Like, what does that do to the experience? And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, there really isn't a perfect answer for it. It's like, whatever's going to work well for you and, and stick with it. And then, you know, just be comfortable with what that means for your brand, because, you know, I, to the... That's it. Like nobody else can answer that but you, right? And it's great that you right. figured out like what's going to work for you and then stick with it. Because no matter what, if you go out and all right, now we're going to do family friendly, then like, oh man, man, I wish we, you know, would have stuck. It's almost like you're always missing the other side of it, and and the grass is always a little bit greener, and you just can't always be everything. You have to choose and make some hard choices along the line. So you said you're going to basically stick with the same model next year. Yeah. You know, it was really interesting. And I'll just kind of share, you know, when you look at the room rates, 
you do take, like everybody knows when you have to bring in cots and extra bedding, you get a little bit of bump on revenue. So that revenue was lost. And then the second, but what we did see was the spend per guest was actually higher by about 50%. So where we made an adjustment on rooms, maybe ADR, not ADR, maybe occupancy wasn't as high or revenue wasn't as high because you didn't have the extra kid fee or extra person fee. We were able to make it up mostly in spend per guest with things like, you know, obviously, Connor and Brian, I don't know if you guys know, but at the fields we do, we have a spa on site, we have a food truck, we have a sommelier on staff. So we have yogis every morning. So we kind of, we target, I don't want to say the yuppie because that's not the right word, but, you know, just somebody who's left the city and they're coming in for two, maybe three days and they want everything to be curated. They do not leave site. So if we can pull every penny out of them while they're on site, then that's our goal. You know, we're last year, we had about a 35% per room rate expenditure. You know, now we're floating in the 45 to 50%. You know, they're consuming all the things that we can possibly throw at them. Sailing, bike riding, wine tasting, cocktail class, you know, farm to table dinner, all the things that are on site, which is great. We just got to kind of continue to find where that still meeting the needs of guests who have kids and they want to bring their kids and have that exact same experience with them and preserving it for what we believe to be as an adult only spot. What, we're going to stay in this adult I, lane. That's I us. I have a question for you. When you do your yep. bookings, are you yep. just booking the accommodation and, and calculating the fee just based on the unit? Or are you doing it by guest? We were, we were in a really interesting session here yesterday. And they talked about that exact issue, especially with families and kids. And they said, you know, yeah. this... This unit normally would rent for, I don't know, pick a number, 250 bucks a night or something like that. But it's yeah. safe six. And if a family wants to come and, and they want to bring four kids, when they do their booking, they input, you know, we have four children and these are their ages. And then it adds additional fees for the number of guests. And they looked at that and said, well, you know, it's it's all those other things on site that you have a larger party, you have bigger family, more, more people. So are you just booking up by the accommodation or have you ever considered doing your bookings by the number of guests that are staying? So we did, we always do it by the number of guests that are staying. So two guests is kind of what the price is for the room. Anything above that is an additional fee. And that's where, when I was explaining to Ruben, earlier, that's kind of where the lost revenue was. When you have people right. who have kids and they're bringing four kids to a tent, while it doesn't seem like that, that revenue adds up pretty quickly. And so when we went to the adult only model, what we did was we lost room revenue. By that, I mean extra persons. But what we gained, in my view, was two adults will spend way more money on site because they'll use the spa. Right. They'll use you know, they'll rent bikes and they'll, you know, bike down the bike trail. They'll go to wine tasting class. They'll show up for cocktails. They'll do the chef dinner. What we find is when people have four, they want to get the hell out of Dodge just to kind of entertain the kids at the beach, go to the ice cream shop, maybe get some can. I mean, it's just a different level of entertainment that we just don't have the infrastructure for. I mean, we really want it. We're a respite. We're in the middle of a working blueberry farm. You know, we have, you know, we tried to keep it simple like uh, simply sweet, right? Just everything that was on site was purposeful without feeling like we had overtaken the land. 
And and so that's one of the kind of when we were talking about what were the level levers that we moved, we moved two this year. One, you know, affected room revenue negatively. The other one possibly affected camp usage, right? All the ancillary segments to the business and a bump. So. Awesome. Can we improvise a little bit here? Steven, are you Steven? Steven is from Tent Masters. He's over here. You can't see him in the camera. We're going to move it. There's Steven. Hey, Steven's Steven. from Tent Masters. We're sitting in front of, hopefully you can't see me now because the show's worth better. But Steven's from Tent Masters. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what we're sitting in front of and we can just go look live on the show? Yeah, can we do that? Like, absolutely. it's probably going to turn into a disaster, but we'll try it. Go ahead, take him through a tour. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Come on in. This is our comic tent right here. Now, this is one of our smallest tents that we sell. This particular model sleeps five as is. This is one of the smallest tents we sell without a bathroom. So we have much larger sizes. But this is one of my personal favorite tents. It's actually one of our best sellers as well. But this one is 224 square feet. And if you step inside here, one thing you'll notice is that it doesn't look like 224 square feet. You actually have quite a bit of room here. We have what we call a triple bed over here, which is a full and a single on top, and then a queen bed in here. But if you pair this with a communal bathhouse, you have a nice affordable tent for 14000 or 24000 fully equipped that you can really utilize a communal bathhouse and get a good family of five in here. And really, it's limitless with the possibilities that you have. We've seen a lot of our customers actually put a bathroom in here with a shower, toilet, sink, and have a couple's tent. Of course, it does come fully equipped with a kitchen. You do have a sink and a gas stove that's not pictured currently, but you can get a gas stove in here. And you have a nice covered porch where you guys were recording the first bit of your meeting. And you also have these tall windows right here and on the side here. And we did this to let in a lot of natural light. But this is our Comet tent, and you can either get it with two bedrooms, as you see here, which is default, and it comes with this bookshelf connector right here in the middle. Or you can actually take these canvas panels off and have one open floor space, a blank canvas per se, to really create whatever kind of floor plan you'd like. No, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Before, do you have any questions? Oh, got it there. Hey, Steven, Ruben here. How are you? Hey, you're doing well. How are you, Ruben? Good, good. How are you? How hey, you? how's it going? How's everything how's going? shaping up for the year? Kind of curious to see what kind of questions people are having at this point of the year? I mean, what kind of trends or, you know, what are people really looking at now that I feel like the last few years, there's been all sorts of cycles, all sorts of different demand changes, kind of what's, what's happening now in the world of kind of the, the 10 manufacturers and what are people, you know, really looking for, you know, what, what kind of needs do they really have at the moment? What are you seeing basically? Okay, no, great question. So outdoor hospitality has been absolutely blowing up the past few years. This particular year, though, post-COVID, we've really gone full hedged forward. We've seen a lot of people really want to attract not just couples, but families. Before, glamping was always a millennial craze, and it still is, but we're seeing a lot of older generations going glamping, family going glamping, and really people of all backgrounds that want to experience something different with nature, and that's where glamping really comes into play quite special. Yeah, that's for Steven. Well, we got him. I guess, Steve, what do you say to people? I mean, something we were talking about earlier is, you know, tents have a certain life cycle, right? There's only, there's only so long that they can actually really last. There's, there's more and more quality now than there is ever. There's more and more solutions to, you know, winter climates. But 
Are you still seeing kind of this division of people having to choose more permanent structures versus kind of tent structures? Or how are people thinking about, you know, the life cycle of tents versus the cost of tents versus life cycle of more cabin parts models versus life cycle? Well, that's a, that's a great question. It's one that I really like being asked because a lot of people, they think tents last a couple, a few years, sometimes more. And a lot of times that you're right. Now, our tents, I love to emphasize they're temporary, non-permanent structures. They're just tents. However, we started in 2009, our manufacturer did. We're 54 countries worldwide. And we're going on 13 years now in operation of mid location. So while our tents may be classified as a temporary, non-permanent structure, we're going 13 years strong. And we expect to see 15, 20 plus years with a lot of our tents. So from a traditional cabin standpoint, they still may have us beat in terms of longevity. They've been around for 40, 50, 60 years in some parks and still going. But I mean, these tents are not something you're going to put up, but have to take down and replace in a few years. And you're going to get a really good long life cycle, one that's still yet to be determined for us. And it's a really neat unit, unique, neat structure that, you know, you can't really find it a lot of other places. It's yet to find us. And there's just something really special about experience a tent and staying in it while still having all the amenities that you would in a hotel. And you hit a, a couple of really good points there. Another thing to think about is that life cycle cost, it's a, a cost too. So cabin may get you more of a seat. It may last 40 or 50 years, but it's cost five, six or more times. Yeah. Yeah. But getting a tent like, like this and running there's a, a much bigger process being affirmative and approved temporary non-permanent structure there's still a process but not as exhausted absolutely and you hit the nail it's about the experience right cabin is still generate so much the rentals are comparable every other cabin that's available in your area Whereas when you come in something and really individual Instagrammable guest experience, your, your rental reflects that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this industry is all about the experience and it's a really nice experience. It's a really neat industry to be a part of. And just to come in here and walk into something like this, where at a $14,000 price point or 20. all in all right can you see here i can hear you but not them i'm sorry oh you guys are back now we lost there for a minute can you hear us yeah now i can Oh, you got us back? But, uh, you got, you're up. Yeah, yeah, like, how are you? Come out here. Gotta look around, like, where we're at. <laughs> kind of in the middle of the alcohol. I'll dress the helicopter second. Driving for a bit. But there. So it's kind of a, a big, together a little thing. We're just trying to get up. So, uh, super. That's it. Yes. You're us. Oh, there we are. Yeah. Look at that. 
You know, it's news to me. I know these tents do great in just about any kind of weather environments. You can leave this unit up year round, even in climates such as Maine, New York, Minnesota, even Nova Scotia, Canada. They're also great here in Florida, which we got a canyon. We do. I would, I would probably take it down, you know, protect your investment out there. So I definitely recommend that. But as for cell block, your Wi-Fi blocking, I and some of the best lamping experience I've had personally is no cell service, no Wi-Fi. Me, nature, and a nice lamping structure, unique experience. And there's something special about that. Yeah, definitely agree. Well, thank you, Stephen. I appreciate it. Yeah. Up and what else we got to talk about here? We're going to go yeah, I guess my, my next question for the group was going to be, because I'm always interested at this stage in, as we get into this over November, December, it's a funky, it's a funky time in the industry because you've got people who are either about to hit their high season because they're in these very warm climates. And this is when they get a lot of victims. And then you also have a good majority of people that are just, you know, hitting the reset button, looking to expand, looking for their next decision, they're looking to figure out how to adjust and they can't, you know, in this space, those that just do business in as usual tend to struggle in the next year. Right. And not, not saying there's nothing wrong with if you've got four units and you kind of run your four units next year, but usually people are making some adjustments, right. Based off of what they've seen. So I guess my question to the group is what are, what are those what are those things that we've seen this last year that cause a reaction to make some changes in people's operations for the next year, right? Because it's, it's one thing to see something, but then it's another thing to actually make those value-added decisions to then say, this is what's going to help me next year. And so I kind of bring that up at this point in time during the year, because typically this is when people are saying, okay, oh crap, like what, what just happened this last year? Okay, what do we need to do to get ahead of it for next year? And just kind of curious to see what you guys have seen. Was it based off of more expansion, customer experiences and preferences? Is it more about, I mean, kind of, it really is a broad question, but I'm just curious because it happens every year. And those that, that are smart enough to kind of pay attention throughout the year, sometimes it's even just minor changes that they make that allow for them to really be set up in a different way. So. That would just be my question for the group. If anybody has seen anything that, yeah. you know, place a bait so, a bet on next year. I think it's a great question. I'm glad you brought it up. We're actually on, on the architecture side, the design side, we've had clients that, that opened this year that this was their first season in business. And we knew with, you know, their, their limited budget that they weren't going to be able to do everything up front. We worked with a, an awesome property and awesome owner in North Carolina. They had a very, very small budget and we master planned the whole site. We got everything through their, their county planning and zoning and their approvals. And they said, you know, we have a budget right now to do eight of the 20 some tents that we had designed and they had two months to get them up and, and operating before their main season hits. And so we, we got it done. We got them open. They opened up the 4th of July and I spoke with the, the owner, the client last week, he called and he said, so 
this weekend is kind of our last weekend. We're we're starting to wind down a little bit. It's starting to get cool. He goes, we're actually getting more inquiries. And so we raised our prices and then we got even more inquiries and they've never operated through the winter months. And he's like, I, I feel like, you know, maybe we should. And so can we, can we add heaters? Can we do some insulation? Can we, can we kind of stretch our season? And so I, I talked through some ideas of things that are easy that they could do right now, like adding a heated mattress pad to the bed. You know, it's 150, 200 bucks to, to order one on Amazon. And that tent may still get down to, you know, 55, 60 degrees overnight. But if your guests slip down in between those sheets and it's, it's 92, 98 degrees inside of that bed, then they're still comfortable. You're improving the guest experience. <laughs> well, your body temperature is 98 degrees. So that, you know, but no, we talked through some of those easy, quick things that they could do right away to, to stretch, you know, get, it may be just three weeks in the fall and three weeks in the spring, but that's six weeks. We just, you know, created another month and a half of, of operation days. And then he brought up, he said, you know, we used, there was an existing bathhouse that was on the site and it was a cinder block building. It was all open inside, not a lot of privacy. And he said, you know, we really got dinged on that this first summer. And a lot of our guests commented and said, you know, I love the place. The tents are amazing. The site is, it's right on a, a beautiful river. But he said, we, we really had a lot of negative reviews and negative comments from guests on the bathhouse. And he said, you know, I think we're ready to move forward with that. And that was one of the things we had, had done the drawings for it. We had designed it, but it, it wasn't in their startup budget. And so they said, you know, we made some good money over this kind of first shortened season for us. That's one of the things that we want to go and get done in this off season and, and make sure that that is completely done and ready to go for next year. You know, I think it's, and now is the perfect time to, to get started on those projects, or if you want to do an expansion or an addition, or if you have code issues, you have some compliance issues, like now, now is the time to dive into those because it's not going to affect your, your main operations. We're starting your glamping resorts. We're adding campgrounds. And I think that a lot of these consumers glamping, whether it's on a campground or by itself, is the first outdoor hospitality experience to be open all. Yeah. Or at least a portion of it, right? There. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, you know, winter glamping. And if that's going to become a thing is there's not a lot of people doing it, particularly with soft walled canvas based structure. And I'm really curious to see what happens. You know, definitely folks that are using hard walled structures, you know, we see that airstreams and modern cabins, log cabins are, you know, on average open for 10 to 12 months a year, but then canvas based structures six to nine. And so I think it's interesting when you're thinking about your site and you have to obviously consider your local weather, you know, what you want to do. And we see both models working successfully, typically like a canvas based structure will make more per night, but it, it, when you send that over the whole operating season, maybe a hardwall structure would make more. And I, I think it's important to keep in mind too, where you're at, your location, your location yeah, has, has a big effect on that. But I think a lot of people think or assume, and perhaps wrongly, 
know, the further north you are, the shorter your season is. And, you know, I'm, I'm working with a, a wonderful couple that has a site in Minnesota and they're doing domes. And that was something we talked about. And he brought up a really good point. He said, Zach, you got to remember, we're drawing from our area. We're drawing people from Minnesota. We're not wimps. Like, yes, we think people in this area will still come out and camp with us in November or December. No, no. And in much the same way, you know, you can, you can think, oh, well, if I'm way down south, you know, I'm in, in Phoenix or, or uh, Dallas or, you know, somewhere that has really pretty mild temperatures, they still have a season too, because in July and August, when it's 110 degrees out, nobody wants to be outside and in a tent and without air conditioning. So I think you know, your site, where you are, it's, it's always going to impact that a little bit. And I said, for sure, whatever, right. ever look gone people in their whole life that personality built. And I Irene, I mean to follow up with that, Irene, like from your property where you've got this higher end client, I mean you already have a spa, you already have a sommelier, you already have, you know, all this stuff. It's like at what point do you say like what what the F else would anybody else want? Right? Like do you ever get to this point where there's gonna be a ceiling? Uh, because of the clientele that you have, does it become difficult to say, oh man, what, what could be, are they expecting more and more? And then what was, what else could you provide? Like you already have all this stuff. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I was, when you were talking about winter, I was like, no way. In. And, and not that, but I was like, there's nobody that's going to schlep. None of my clients would schlep a bag of anything you know, through the snow to kind of get to it. But, you know, as people continue to glam, right? I mean, we have a lot of people now that fly in to see us who have stayed at an under canvas or collective retreats or a firelight or, you know, and so they've experienced different things. And so I think that one of the things that we always and continuously have to do is maybe there are some staples that never shift, right? It's like why you always go to certain places because you know that this is always going to be on the menu or that you know like your grocery store like the back of your hand you know we have guests now that are going to be in our fifth year in a row right but I think what we're able to do is mix up the experience by leveling up or using the space uniquely you know with 30 acres there are lots of little nooks and crannies that you can continue to recreate magic maybe you know, each year, you know, we have this, like next year, one of the buildings that we had that we were using as private dining space, we're actually converting to a speakeasy. And so it's constantly reusing your space in a very unexpected way so that a guest will continue to spend their money on the ancillary. So it's readjusting, reusing, reinvigorating. We were going to put in a, we have a cement slab that we use for a wedding. You know, paddle is, is it pickleball? Pickleball is becoming the hottest craze. We're converting that cement slab that's used for weddings into a pickleball court. And then we were like, okay, well, how do we amp that up? All right, well, we're going to do a little hut and a lemonade stand, but it's really going to be spiked lemonade, right? Because pickleball is known to be a, you know. So it's the constant thought, how do we continue to maximize the space and stay true to the trends that everybody, the life cycle of trends that all of our guests who are consumers are doing. Because 
that's what they want. We're all consumers. We want something new and awesome and different and exciting. But why do we still keep going back to the same thing? Because they're doing it too. Yes. I think about it all the time. I'm already like ordering vinyl records for the speakeasy. We're changing out the front door to it so it looks a little bit more. We're getting a neon light, you know, that kind of flickers. But we're doing all that stuff, right? And so that's the that's the fun part of the off season. It's not revamping, enhancing the guest experience to meet the guest exactly where they're at. Definitely amazing that, yeah, the analysis is so simple. I'm really glad that you're here. That mindset is. Well, it's like engineering. I mean, does everybody talk about it? And I know that, you know, when people are advisors or chatting about something, they're chatting about something in a way that has them. Are they frozen again? I think so. We keep going. Yeah, but, you know, like engineers, it's really easy to kind of sit back and kind of say, this is what it's supposed to look like. But then it's the actual, when you start to build it or you're starting to operate it, you have to do different things. You have to respond to what your guests are. And oftentimes your guests sometimes aren't exactly who you are. So that's the, that's the actual fun in the challenge. I love it. Yeah, and I think that's the bigger, that's like the bigger point too in terms be curious to see what you guys think about this, where you look at the history of glamping, therefore looking at the future of glamping and consolidation in the space hasn't happened yet, right? To, to a big degree. And it will, right? That's going to be the next thing that's going to be on the, the docket. But 10 years ago, there wasn't as many options. So you would just pick a place to go to school and be like, great, it's got a tent, looks good, fantastic. Now there's competition. There's great operators all over the place. And it's yep. no longer good enough to just put up a tent and operate. It's no longer good enough to just kind of copy maybe what somebody else did, copy their flavor. You gotta have all these different things because the user taste has changed, right? They we got a taste of, man, I really like this glamping thing. Like what else is out there? And they don't always want to do the same thing. I think there's comfort to kind of like the four seasons of glamping of hey, I know what it is, I know what it is, and I'm, I'm great, awesome. But I think the growth in the industry will always be people searching for those new experiences. The winter glamping. Yeah, I think there is people who are going to go do that. People who want, you know, to come yep. to the same property and something different. You need, I mean, the reality is that you need to now more than ever set yourself apart or else you're going to fall behind because you no longer are the, you know, just a, a big fish in a small pond. Now there's a really big pond and a lot of fish. And so you just got to be, you know, really differentiate yourself, which is just the natural progression of this industry. It's just, it has to happen. So you need the pool, you need the activities, you need the pickleball, you need, you know, to be open year round. You ha I mean, that's how people are, you know, fortunately or unfortunately going to compete moving forward, because if you're not, yeah. somebody else is thinking about those things. I think yeah, Irene sure. brought up something that was a really good point too, and that's, you know, meeting your guests where they are, always keeping in mind that we are not selling an accommodation. We're selling an experience. Yeah. And, and, you know, hearing you talk, Irene, about some of those things that you're, you're doing those pivots and changes and, and kind of being, you know, flexible with some of your space. I think that that demonstrates, you know, the, you're really tuned in to your guests and the experience that you're delivering to your guests. And, and that's, speaks to a lot of wisdom on your part and and that's what makes good operators great operators and 
And I yeah. think, you know, keeping in mind that it's guest experience should be what drives everything that we do. Every one of those decisions that gets made. So I, I thought that was just great. And I really enjoyed you telling us about it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, Irene, earlier you were talking about, you know, making the tough switch from, from being open to families versus going with couples and, and, you know, that might've in some categories been a hit on revenue this season, but I think for next year, you know, what, what you see when you make those tough choices and really define your customer and your experience is whereas before you might've had couples and families coming to your site. And they would have an experience that might've been a four out of five because, you know, catering to one doesn't necessarily cater to the other. So all of your customers might be getting more of a four out of five experience, but moving forward, now that the entire experience is dedicated to one customer, you can really knock the socks off of all of them. And now they're having these five out of five experience. And then that's where the organic growth and the repeat customers come in where they're going to book again next year. And then they're going to start bragging about it to their friends and tell them, oh, you've got to go to this place. It's an amazing getaway. They've got all these fantastic experiences and amenities. And no um, kids. Yeah, and no, and no pesky kids. And so I expect, <laughs> you know, making those tough well, decisions and really having an incredible experience is going to pay off for you. Um, along. Yeah, in the future seasons. So well done. Just one, one other thing I want to add to anybody that might be listening is they're kind of thinking through. And I remember maybe it's the, the ability to have the privilege of perspective, but one of the things that we did originally when we first started the fields was we never went on a third-party booking platform. We didn't go on a Travelocity. We didn't go on an Expedia. And partly was a conscientious decision to ensure that our branding and marketing strategy reached the guest that was choosing us based on the experience versus based on a cost, right? So they weren't, they weren't typing in Expedia because I feel like the Expedia user is looking for the best value right? They're looking for the cheapest value or the cheapest cost in a region. And one of the things that it did was, you know, now 100%, well, it's always been 100% of our bookings are direct bookings, but it really found our guest identity. It made it very clear exactly who we were servicing. And it makes the decision-making very easy because we don't have people choosing on price while at the same time, somebody choosing on experience, which oftentimes are two different people. And it's, it's made it easier to make decisions or move levers and be able to see an outcome versus having a diversified portfolio of people who are like, I'm traveling to South Haven. The field has a coupon to them and they show up and they're miserable because they're camping. You know, for anybody that's listening, that was a conscientious choice for us to make sure that we grabbed the right guest. Now, some other people might not be able to do it because they need to fill, you know, every single tent or accommodation that they have. But do, right, to start. Yeah, and I'm so happy you said that. A friend of mine, Blake Smith of Walden Retreats, he, he took the exact same approach and, you know, wasn't using OTAs. And a big emphasis for him was he was like, we... We really want to own the end-to-end -end customer experience. And a huge part of that is meeting guest expectations before they come on site. And that might be, hey, you know, there, there might be weather or, you know, critters or, or whatever it might be. But like calling the guests before they came and letting them know what to expect from their experience so that that can be matched. And then, you know, they're, they're getting what they signed up for. 
And then also on the follow-up on the backside, you can follow up with them as well, take feedback, work on a next booking, something like that. But I was just curious if you do that at your site, Irene, with like something up front in terms of like managing expectation, because you get that, that luxury being that they go directly to your site. Yeah, we do a lot of that. We actually have a person that we have on staff. That's like one of my, I want to say, expenditures that every year when I'm like, do we be spending this to have a personal person answering the phones and making contact with every guest? But the reality is the answer is yes. She pays for herself, you know, tenfold because she not only does the initial contact. So our booking platform allows us to do some three pre-arrival emails. You know, they'll have like their packing list, what to expect, what's going to happen the week of their stay. Then our like concierge reach out directly to every single person, makes notes so I can read in the notes if they were able to make contact with them via email or phone. And then all the guest notes that are in there, are they celebrating their fifth anniversary? Is it their 40th birthday? Their dog's name is Bo. All of those things that you would expect. And then afterwards, we actually follow up with every single guest with a postcard. So we do, we're a very high touch organization. It was the only way that I was ever going to do this business. I do it because I'm absolutely crazy about hospitality and the guest experience. Most people know I don't love the outdoors that much. I'm actually a recovering camper. I have five brothers and a boy scout in the house. So my <laughs> version of camping was very not what I do for guests. But the reality is, is that I am absolutely obsessed by making sure sure that every guest is wowed in the way that South Haven, Michigan can. And so those are the ways that we do it. Probably very similar to your buddy. And all of that goes into part of the experience, right? You talk you know, some of the conversations about building custom reservations commerce with control holding that have better approach. Like a lot of these big reservations, fantastic. But if you're really going at you're really going after the experience, uh, customize every aspect of it, then it can be built as part of e commerce platforms. The CRM, the collective data that I mean, was talking about, and yeah, email people happy birthday when they're actually automatically, right? Without you even thinking, and those kinds of things just again, one more way that they're going to remember you, come back to you, because you were special. I mean, you brought up a really good point. I actually sat in a, a training session yesterday with folks from Nuba, and they were talking about some of the features that they have in their software and absolutely all those things can be triggered automatically and they do, you know, a, a 48 hour before email and a 24 hour before and a day of, you know, check in like that, that constant communication back with those guests. They have it triggered even to where when they check out a follow-up email gets, says, Hey, we just want to make sure, you know, everything was perfect for your stay. And if it wasn't, please tell us, you know, what can we improve? What can we do better? And, you know, so there, there's certain our booking platforms that already have that integrated, that will do that all in custom, you know, tailor your message and what you want to say, but you don't have to have one of those big expensive platforms either. You know, it, it may be, you know, like Irene mentioned, it may be a person, maybe staff that, that really focuses on that and does that. Depends on what you need. I mean, for most people, I think the, the new books can't spot the everybody else is going to work for them. Yeah. But in some cases, if you really want to go that extra mile and you think of everything else, there are ways to technology that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think the biggest, I... biggest kind of concept there too, which I don't think is, we talk about it a little bit because of how 
important is, but it's also very simple and straightforward. And, and what we're talking about here is really being very, very clear with expectations, right? Because I can't tell you the amount of times that we've seen it over the year where, and Irene, you've talked about this too at your camp, where people freak out. It's like, there was a, there was a bug. There was a, there was a spider in the tent or leaving. There was a snake. It's like, yeah, no shit. You're in mother nature. Like, what did you think was going to happen? But I like the thing. Like this is yeah. Answer, you guys, as as glamping becomes this gateway to the outdoors, just a lot of people haven't had that experience before, right? And and being overly transparent with here's what this is like. If if there is no Wi-Fi, you let people know that. If the bathrooms are subpar, yeah. you let people know that. Whatever whatever it happens to be, because sometimes people try and hide that because they're like, oh, this isn't the, the best part about my property. So I don't want to have photos of, you know, maybe this side. Like the more transparent that you are, people walk in and say, okay, this is what I expected. When people show up, like, and even if they expected there to be Wi-Fi, and you didn't advertise or it was or wasn't or whatever it was, and there isn't Wi-Fi, they lose it, right? And they say, well, you know, it doesn't matter where they are, the beautiful scenery or the accommodation. They just get triggered by these small things that were expected to be there and weren't there. And so it is the job and it's a hard job to be overly transparent of here's exactly what it is. Here's what it is. Because for many people, this is already so much out of their comfort zone, right? They're going out into a remote place. So you're saying they're staying clear from the American plan because the hill your tent should let your guests know that there's a snake in the tent, right? You should have a, that's just, yeah, that's part of it. That's part of the experiences. You can just have a snake infested tent and you can actually <laughs> charge more for it. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. There are probably <laughs> people yeah. who are probably banned. It's Instagrammable. For yeah, sure. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Yeah. Selfie with no, self the snake. Yeah. You charge more Ruben, for a rattlesnake. You bring up a, a really good point with that though. And I think it goes back to that guest experience component. And and one of the things that I, I like to say and and talk with our clients about there, there's one thing that's common sort of throughout glamping and outdoor hospitality industry as a, a way that creates a positive guest experience. And that is authenticity. You know, when we look at the, the markets, when we look at the demographics, people that are, are really making up more than half of the guests in, in glamping and camping, they're mostly from the millennial and Gen Z kind of generations. Those are the age groups that are funding the industry. And I can say this because I are one. Millennials have grown up, you know, with technology. We can smell bullshit a mile away. And finding really good, true, authentic experiences are rare. And so I think, yeah, being open, honest, transparent about it, it's giving the guests that authentic experience of, yes, this is exactly what I expect. And, and I feel like I'm, getting a good view and th this is something that I enjoy and something I want to we did this whole show wrong because we pair them noise <laughs> you know, so, okay I got well, we're showing them the, the good side the beautiful tent masters <laughs> you know I think it's really interesting because it's very easy when and I was as I was listening to you all I kept thinking you know I run the fields I have 2010s it's really easy for me to manage the guest experience. A lot of things that we just talked about, you know, we have a checklist that we go through when they check into their tents. And it's like, listen, if you leave cheese out on your desk, Ratatouille is going to show up. I mean, it's like all the things that you would expect. But the reality is, is that for as, and Ruben, you know this, this industry is exploding. As 
things start to get scalable, you know, it's like, how do you replicate an operator at 10 different locations? And, you know, I think that one of the things that we're really excited about, and I've, I'm happy to share anything and everything that we have with everybody is that we've kind of came up with some training manuals that you could hand to anybody who was kind and who had a servant art, who was one of your employees. And you said, these are the steps to walk through to really ensure that you were setting your guest up for the best experience by managing expectations from check-in, well, before check-in, right? Pre-arrival, arrival, and then departure. And I think that that's where some of the formalization of hospitality is going to be so exciting to watch because operators are going to have to become much more sophisticated, particularly if they want to scale because they can't replicate themselves at 20 different locations. But yeah, we have this checklist and it's literally hilarious because somebody's like, I, you know, will follow up with them just as you described. And we're like, hey, listen, I didn't know that there was going to be something. And then we're like, well, on this day, you signed this piece of paperwork and you initialed next to X, you know, and I'm, you know, and we kind of make it funny. We're like, you know, we, I'm sure you were so excited and to eat your s'more that you forgot to read exactly what you were signing. But, you know, you, it, it does protect somebody from going, oh, well, they never even said anything. You know, we're getting sophisticated. It's a lot of fun. This industry is incredibly exciting. And to be an operator in it is, you know, I, I feel a real privilege. And we got a couple minutes left here. We got to wrap up. I feel like, you know, as always, I feel like I said, the hours, but that's right. You're at the Marbuck again, National Outdoor Hospitality Conference. We had a great session at the Clampage Show in October about off grids. I just all had some new ideas. And, you know, I've got on my phone pulled up here as well as looking at the outdoor recreation economy released their report today that says that the recreation accommodated for 1.9% of the total GDP for the United States, never had $50 billion for some revenue, ranging from 23% Hawaii for outdoor recreation, 9% fishing. But just to grow, glamping is obviously part of that, RV part of that, but it's just really exciting to be part of this industry to see how it's going to change. We'll just... Yeah, and it's, it's been interesting, too, coming from a, a glamping background and kind of being at the glamping show, everybody's very, I think, well-informed yeah. and educated and following the trends in glamping to coming to Arvik, which is, it's, it's a great show, but it's, it's predominantly in campground owners that are, are at the show. So these are all operators. These are all people that have run successful businesses and they have established resorts, and, and they're starting to kind of wake up to that, too, and going you know, what's this glamping thing? And, or yeah, they, they were talking about that like two years ago. And I remember thinking, and, oh, well, it'll, it'll never last. And, and now every other campground around us is at the cabins and covered wagons and tents and we, we got to get with the program. So it's, it's been really kind of cool to, to see that the shift in the perspective here as, as all these campground owners are, are fully embracing glamping now and, and not just you know, dipping a toe in and not, oh, well, we'll try one or two. No, they're, they're coming in and they're putting 20 in their, their parks. Well, we got a couple Let's hear any final thoughts from Ruben, Irene, Connor? 
right. or we're just lagging. No, I think we covered a lot. Thanks for thanks for taking the time to connect today. That was a as always yeah, a good right. conversation, solving, lamping, theoretical issues one one month at a time. So thank Good you guys. Be better next year, next next year, next month. But we're trying not to have background noise. No, that's what we'll do every single time. Now everybody will have to bring their uh, their own front loader. You don't have a forklift, you can't hop on the call. Yeah, it might work. Uh, it, we just match people. We'd set expectations, right? That's the <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. So there we go. We're communicating with people. So. Thank you guys. I really appreciate you joining us for another episode of Events Fireside Chats, glamping up. So again, we're here at Arvik's OHCE. There's so many just amazing things happening in this industry. We're part of all these educational sessions, including the Expo, AOA's Expo, safe work with them on the American Lightning Award, North American Lightning Award. Uh, and I'm sure they're going to cover that during their conference here in Orlando too. Hopefully everybody's safe in Orlando with the hurricane coming over us. Uh, and again, we will see you guys here in a month here uh, back with us again. Thank you guys. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye, guys. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.